looking for somebody to take the blame, I think is something that as humans, we quite often do. I don't know if you can think to when you were a child, and perhaps you're getting told off for something and you, you come up with the excuse, well, they told me to do it, they made me do it. And it's an excuse that is as really as old as humanity itself. Right back at the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden, when things go horribly wrong, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And it, it seems that following on from that as human beings, we're always very ready to pass the blame onto somebody else rather than accept responsibility. The next part of Jonah's adventures of the, the book of Jonah, Jonah has made the decision not to listen to God. God had called him to Nineveh to go and preach there. But Jonah is in the process of heading off on a boat to this place called Tarshish. Probably a much nicer place than Nineveh. A wealthy port um, with sun, with sea, with sand. Perhaps he was hoping for a better life over in Spain. But now things start to go wrong. The Lord sends a storm and it is a very serious storm and it's a storm that is bad enough to cause a shipwreck. And in verse 5, what we find is the sailors, the, the people who are who are on the boat, steering the boat, they're, they're shouting out to their various gods. And actually what this suggests is we've got a bit of a multinational crew here with, with loads of different gods being worshipped. And they start pleading with their gods to save them. They start trying to lighten the ship by throwing cargo overboard. Meanwhile, where is Jonah? Well, the only person on board this boat, the only person who knows the Lord, well, he's fast asleep. He's below deck. He's gone into hiding. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle to sleep if somebody switches a light on. It just wakes me up with a ping. I don't know how on earth Jonah is managing to be asleep during a storm. But anyway, he's managing it. And a sailor has to wake him up. And you can just imagine the, the picture, can't you? This sailor shaking Jonah, you know, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. So Jonah is now physically awake. He's no longer in bed. He's no longer asleep. But at this point, he doesn't yet have anything to say. It's still the sailors who are sort of taking the lead in the conversation. In verse 7, we find them casting lots to try and work out what's going on, trying to find somebody to pin the blame on for this storm that has happened. In the ancient world, it was quite a common practice, particularly amongst pagan religions, for people to cast lots to try and work out what a god was saying. And this seems to be just what the sailors decide to do here. But it's interesting, isn't it? The Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, can use all things for his purposes. And we see that that's what happens here. But let's just pause for a moment before we carry on into the rest of this chapter. Let's just think about some of these things that are actually taking place. If I'm out walking our dog, and as this has happened on a number of occasions, suddenly the rain starts pouring. The wind whistles round, and there might even be thunder and lightning. I don't look at the dog and say, Rosie, is it you or me who's responsible for this bad weather? Which of us has sinned? And we mustn't read Jonah and then start to interpret the whole of life, thinking that everything that happens to us is as a result of something we've done that's wrong or some disobedience to God. It is the exception that God uses the weather, 
to get through to human beings. But he does do it through the Bible. We, we find it at the time of Noah. We find it during the reign of Ahab when there is a drought. But what this does show us, and I think this is the key thing here, is that God cares about Jonah so much. He cares about the people of Nineveh so much that actually he will do anything to get Jonah's attention, to call Jonah back to himself. And so it is with us. You know, God is always longing for us to to be in relationship with him, calling us back. You know, that, that story of the prodigal son, the father there with outstretched arms, ready to welcome us back to him. Another thing here that really stands out to me is when the storm hits, when the terror of the the wind and the raging sea comes upon the sailors, the only person who knows God, the only person who knows the Lord, is fast asleep. He's hiding. He's below deck. And it just made me think, I wonder how often, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we can be tempted to go into hiding when actually the storms of this world are raging around us. Just think back over the last couple of decades, perhaps the financial crisis of 2008 or the riots of 2011 or the current pandemic situation we find ourselves in now. It can be very easy as Christians to sort of bury our heads in the sand and just keep going as we've always done, rather than stick our hand up and say, look, I've got hope in this situation. I know God and I know the gospel and I know what Jesus wants for us and I know that he's trying to draw us in some way back to him no matter what happens. He's always calling to us. Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You know, storms happen for a whole variety of reasons, don't they? Mostly it's just that that's what the weather brings. And in life as well, the the storms of life can hit in any kind of situation. But actually, as Christians, we're, we're called to say we have hope in this. We have a God in whom we can trust. You know, at the moment, as we're we're facing as a nation, as a world, that this period of a storm, are we there bringing hope? Are we there bringing God's light and life to our neighbours, to our friends, to our communities? So in verse 8. After the lots have fallen on Jonah, the sailors want to know more about him. And and Jonah now, he's actually happy to be the one who is blamed for the storm, to take that on himself. And by verse 11, as the storm increases, they, they ask a question of Jonah. How do we get this storm to stop, basically, is the question. And now something quite bizarre happens. Verse 12, Jonah says, pick me up, throw me in the sea, and it will become calm. Jonah has accepted the blame. He's accepted the interpretation of events that this is all to do with his disobedience to God. He shows himself as a firm believer in God and the works of the Lord, but he wants to be thrown overboard. Just think for a minute. Did God tell him to do that? Had he wrestled in prayer over what to do at this point? Has he repented and turned back to God and said, look, I'm really sorry, I didn't want to go to Nineveh. Please bring an end to this storm and and please let the sailors take me back and I'll do as you say. No, he doesn't do any of that. Just off his own back, he says, chuck me overboard and it'll stop. And in this account, we never get to see what would have happened 
if at this point the prophet had got on his knees and prayed out to God, if he'd got out and cried out in repentance and said sorry that he wasn't doing things God's way. But now everything seems quite topsy-turvy in this passage because the response of the sailors is quite interesting. These are not sailors who know the Lord. They're worshipping all these other different gods and yet they are the ones who are now crying out to the Lord, to the God of Israel. Please, they say, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. So while the prophet is happy to be chucked overboard, the pagan sailors are pleading out to God. So overboard Jonah goes, still running in a sense in his heart from God. He's taking the blame, but he's not prepared to turn away, not yet, from his own schemes. The sailors contrast them, the sea calms, and they offer worship to the Lord and make vows to him. You know, it's all the wrong way around, isn't it? The ones who you expect, Jonah, who you expect as a prophet to be responding to God, is the one who just does his own thing. And the sailors, the ones who don't know God, are now the ones who've become worshippers. Jonah, meanwhile, is eaten by this famous big fish. And so we find that God, in the most unexpected ways, has mercy on the sailors, they all survive. He has mercy on the prophet through a very unexpected rescue. And we will see in the chapters to come, he will have mercy on the people of Nineveh. So what on earth can these verses teach us today? What on earth can we do with them? One thing that really stands out to me is how Jonah knows God. He never disputes the words of the Lord. He knows he hears from God. And yet actually there's something in his heart that means he doesn't really belong to God at this point. His heart is in another place. His heart is in Tarshish, not in doing what God wants him to do. As Christians, we we use this word repentance that means to turn away from our own things and to turn to God's things. And it's repentance is never just about saying sorry for bad stuff. It's about actually wanting to live our life in the way that God calls us to. Sometimes I think the hardest thing in our own lives is to put down those things that actually we think are good ideas, but we actually know God doesn't want for us. I just wonder today, is there an equivalent of a Tarshish in your life, something you're pursuing, something you're going after? Whereas actually God has called you to something else. God has called you to a better way, a way of following him in a different kind of capacity. So how do we turn to God today? How can we turn? Well, we looked at last week how it might be those first steps to say, Lord, I want to follow your ways. I want to become one of your disciples. Or it might be today that actually God is simply saying, lay down whatever that Tarshish thing is. Lay it down. God hasn't abandoned Jonah. And if you're listening today, no matter where we are, what we've done, what we're doing at the moment, God doesn't abandon us. God is the God of the rescue, the God of the second chance, the God of the new start. We see all of this in the book of Jonah. Jesus dies so that when we turn our lives to him, we we may know him and have life in abundance, life of forgiveness, life with a fresh start. Doesn't matter where you are today. Doesn't matter whether you're on the run from God or turning to God. God, the minute we turn to him, welcomes us back and calls us to himself. What's your response to God today? 
What's your response to his call over your life? Is it yes? Is it a continuous, everyday yes? Is it a no, like Jonah had been? Or perhaps it's a maybe, perhaps you're not sure. As we said last week, let's not be like Jonah. If you've answered yes today, if your response to God today is a yes, keep going, keep pressing in to all that God is calling you to be. If it's a maybe, perhaps keep exploring what is God's call on your life. Perhaps do that through prayer. Perhaps sign up to our Alpha course to explore a little bit more about what God is calling you to in Christ. Because Jesus has great things in store for us when we say yes to him. And it's my prayer that we will do again this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in so many different ways, have called us out of our own schemes, out of our own lives, to follow you. Thank you that you offer us forgiveness, that you are the God of the second chance, of the God of the new start. Lord, I want to pray that wherever we find ourselves today, that our response to you will be a yes. And Lord, as we unpack this book of Jonah over the coming weeks, we'll see that when Jonah does say yes, Amazing things happen. Lord, today, may we know the blessings in our lives when we say yes to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.